You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Happy Sunday again. Good to be with you. Um, just blessed to be able to gather, whether that's in person or online, to be able to worship our God and get into his word this morning. And so we are, um, it's kind of a bittersweet day. We're finishing the book of James today. So it's, oh yeah, bittersweet because you're like, it's been awesome, but you're like, oh my gosh, we're ending it. Um, it's been a great season uh, over the last few months where we've just systematically gone verse by verse through the book of James, and um, it's been great. Um, this whole season has been good, especially these last four weeks um, leading up to today has been a gift. As you guys know, we've had the blessing to hear from men and women in our church. God used them to preach and teach the Word of God, and that's been a gift. Um, but I'm closing. I feel a little rusty. It's been like a month since I've preached. So if you guys, it's like preaching is not just one of those things where you can like do it again, especially studying. So. I'm a little rusty, but I'm excited to be back here uh, finishing up. And so James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20 is going to be our text today. And so I'd love for you to turn with me uh, and join me in reading this text. And so we have Bibles on the table. Maybe you have your own Bibles or feel free if you can. Don't get distracted, but open up your Bible app if you need to. Um, that's dangerous if you pull up your phone right now, but we'll have it on the screen as well. Um, for today, I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation. It might be different than yours, but um, like how it's put. And so we'll go ahead and read it. Um, James 5, 13 through 20, the end of the letter of James to the church scattered abroad. And this is James speaking, and this is what he says. He says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. My dear brothers and sisters... If someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this wonderful season in your word, specifically in this letter that we have from your son, James. God, we thank you, Lord, for the gift that it's been to us. God, thank you for all the ways that it's been encouraging and convicting and refining. God, it's been good for us. And Lord, as we end today, as we wrap up this time, God, what jumps off the pages is prayer. Over and over, we're reminded 
of the power of prayer. And God, I, I pray today that we would not miss out on what you have for us, that we would take full advantage of the ability to speak with you and ask you things and hear you things and, he, and hear from you things. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would come and you would fall in this place, you would have your way. Pray in your name. Amen. So before we kind of dig in a little bit to these few verses, I want us to remember the context of this letter. Context is really important for anything in life, especially when you're reading the Bible, because um, you'll, you'll misinterpret things. Or, or if you don't get it wrong, you'll miss out on the potency of it, or you'll hear it wrong, or you won't understand really the depth of it. And I want you to remember that James here is speaking to his people. And what I mean by that is that what the book of James is, is what we're getting as we're reading it, is we're getting a look at a pastor's letter to his church during a great time of distress and change. We call it the book of James. We cut it up into chapters. We've given it verses. But in its original context, this is a letter that James in Jerusalem has written to, to his church that's been scattered abroad all over the place due to persecution. And these are his people. This is his congregation that he's been entrusted with. And so as much as, you know, I think sometimes it can come off, oh, harsh, or why is he saying that? Or what's his reasoning it's coming from a very heartfelt, like, pastoral, shepherding care. He really cares about his people, and he cares how they're doing or how they're not doing, the environment they're in, and um, he's speaking into that. He's speaking into these new environments and these new things that they're having to navigate. And what's, what's fun is, obviously, a pastor reading this, a pastor reading a pastor's letter, I totally get it. Like, I get why he would say that, or what might be going on. Um, I get where he's coming from. And out of these five chapters, James has said a lot of different things. Like there's 54 imperatives in five different chapters. It's a bit of a shotgun blast of different things that he's trying to cover in this letter. Um, and he said a lot, but I love how he ends it. And again, I think there's importance to like beginnings of letters and endings and what's being communicated. And what he, what he does here, what we just read, verses 13 through 20, is, is he's ending this letter. And again, there is like so much uncertainty to his life, to their life. This could be the last time they ever talk. Like, there's nothing certain. They're hundreds, if not thousands of, of miles apart. Like, there's no Instagram to like see how your family's doing. Facebook. There's none of that. It's like they're on their own in these foreign cities. They're displaced people. This is his last letter. And how does he end it? He highlights. What he does is he highlights the greatest of all the spiritual practices that we as believers can engage in, and it's prayer. That's where he ends. He ends with prayer. And I have three points today kind of breaking down this, 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 this last seven verses. And number one, I believe that he's communicating and reminding not only them, but to us this morning, that prayer is powerful. 
Prayer is powerful. Again, even though in context he's writing to them, this is for us here today, here and now. These are reminders for us too. If you're taking notes, write this down. Prayer is powerful. I mean, just the even few examples that he's using in this text. He says, don't forget, prayer heals sickness. He says, prayer is the means by which God forgives sins. The way in which your relationship is restored to your heavenly father once again is through through prayer. And then he uses one of their, their Old Testament patriarch figures, Elijah. And he even says, remember Elijah. Right? These are Jewish believers speaking, these are, you know, speaking to their heritage and their people. He said, remember Elijah? He prayed and it controlled the rain. Right? Even the elements were changed. Even these temporal things in our lives, in our midst, are changed through prayer. He's just trying to give them a few examples to remind them the power of prayer. And I think the second half of verse 16 says it all. That the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Like, James is using a few examples that they can understand and they're reminded of real life prayers that change lives. But then he says, if, you're, uh, if, if, if you don't get anything out of today, it's the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. When we call upon God, like his invitation to ask, seek, and knock, he says, when you do that, you should expect Great and powerful and wonderful things for my kingdom. Here's some examples how I've done it before. Like, seek me to do it again. Because this is what prayer does. Like, prayer, what it does is it moves the hand of God. Right? It, invite, it invites God into our situation. It brings unity with us, with our Father, Prayer is much more than just a religious set of words that you say uh, only before your meal or uh, only when you really need him or only when you have a list of things that you want from God. Right? Each of us have a different maybe perception of what prayer is or when we should pray or how prayer should be. But we need to be reminded that prayer literally moves the hand of God. It invites God into our situation. It brings unity with us and the Father. And it has great power to produce wonderful results. Prayer is powerful. And what we can learn from these examples here, these few examples here, is kind of these next two points. Point two is that prayer is redemptive. Not only is prayer powerful, like by nature it calls upon the power of God, but prayer is redemptive and it calls upon the redemptive nature of God. Like look look at the beginning of verse 16 and verse 19. I have it all together on the screen. James here saying, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. 
And then he says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Prayer not only is powerful, but prayer calls upon the redemptive nature of God. Like it, it prays in God to redeem the world. God save us. God redeem us. God heal us. God forgive us. Right? Prayer is calling upon the redemptive nature of God. And this is a really big one. Because God, ever since sin entered the world in the very first few chapters in the book of Genesis, right? If you go back to the very beginning of the story, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Sin entered the world. What did sin do? It messed everything up. God's perfect design. All of creation. Sin messed it all up, and we're still dealing with it now. We're still dealing with the effects of sin, how sin has distorted God's perfect design, his perfect will. And ever since that moment in the garden when that happened, ever since that time, God has been trying to redeem humanity from the curse of sin trying to reverse the effects of sin, to redeem the effects that our disobedience has caused us. He tried through various ways and through various methods in the Old Testament, as we all know, and it didn't suffice. Still, as much as God tried to lay it right out, even before his people, everything, because of sin and because we're a broken people, over and over, story after story, as much as God tried to redeem them and bring them back to himself, what do we do as humans? We turn our backs, we disobey, we do whatever pleases us. I mean, the story continues today. But the completion or the fulfillment of God's redemption to his creation it's found in the person of Jesus. God sent his only son into the world to once and for all save and redeem it from the effects of sin. It started all the way back in the garden that still plague us today. Right? God sent his son Jesus to redeem and rescue us from the power and the penalty of sin. And a part of prayer is calling upon that very redemptive nature of God to come and be here on earth. That's why, like, James reminds us of this. That's why, like, we in our own life, whether that's people have prayed for us or we've prayed for others, but a lot of our prayers have been, Lord, save us or save them or heal them or free me. Redeem me. Right? Prayer is calling upon God's redemptive nature to break into this world. Right? Those prayers that we've prayed, that we would continue to pray of, Lord, save us, free us, heal us, forgive us. These are powerful cries. 
for God's redemption to break into our sinful and fallen world in which we live. Like when we pray, prayer is is redemptive. It doesn't just stop there. It gets better. Prayer not only is powerful, prayer not only is redemptive. Um, I think one of the most beautiful parts, and I think we can all attest to this, is that prayer is restorative. Prayer is restorative. And again, another part of God's heart for us isn't only like being redeemed and turning back to himself, but if you didn't already know it, God is in the business of restoration. I know for many of us in different ways, we're into restoring old things, whether that be a car or a house or whatever it is, like giving old things new life and and whatever it is. We love seeing like potential and working on it and all of a sudden like newness comes from something that was so broken. Well, God, much more than cars and houses and things in this world, is in the business of restoration. See, one day, what we know is that he will make all things new again. Right? He, he will. We know the end of the story. We know what's at the end, that one day he will make all things right again, all things that are broken, all things that are hurting, all things that are out of whack and messed up by sin, he'll make new again. But until that day of perfect completion, until that day, right, what's happened is he has ushered in his kingdom and the Lord desires his kingdom to continue to come here on earth as it is in heaven now. When Jesus broke on the seed, he ushered in, like the kingdom of heaven is here. Like that's a study in its own. Go through the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and see how many times it says the kingdom of heaven is here now. Like with me, I'm ushering it in. It's starting. That was the turning point of all humanity when Jesus came on the scene. Because again, it pointed to the fullness But again, we don't just wait for, or we shouldn't just wait for like, hey, Jesus is just going to like fully do it then, and so I'm just going to try to like let the world burn around me and hide away because I know it's coming. It's like, no, 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 no. You missed it. You missed it. That's escapism. Like Jesus wants to go, oh, no, no, I I ushered in my kingdom. I want my kingdom to continue until it's completed and I want my people to pray that in. That, that's actually on us. You might fight me on that a little bit. We can talk about it later. But, but look, at, look at this. Look at this. I'm just going to use Jesus' words, and then we can fight over this. If you remember in the Sermon of the Mount, when Jesus gave us a prayer, Jesus t- teed it up for us. Like, here's a model prayer. You have trouble with prayer? Here it is. He said, pray in this way. He gave it to us as a model. And there's a key idea in that prayer that speaks to God's restorative nature. Again, Jesus speaking on the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Jesus said this. Jesus speaking to his people. This then is how you should pray. Teed up. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Verse 10, underlined. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And let us need, and let us lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying to the church, hey, uh, I want you, like, pray my kingdom in. Pray it in. Ask me. Ask my Father. Ask our Father to bring his kingdom to this world. Again, you, you see, God's perfect ways and, and his perfect will wants to break in and permeate this broken and sinful world. And, if you, and it's not hard to go, oh, I wonder if that's needed now in the world. You're like, no, no, no. Everything is needed. The world's horrible. I'm sure every generation in some time says, oh my gosh, the world's horrible. But it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Like we can compare it to a lot of things and we're in a pretty bad spot. We need God's kingdom to break in. And what his kingdom looks like is, is something like this. There's a lot more to it, right? But God's kingdom breaking in, like Jesus saying, hey, church, pray my kingdom into this world, is stuff like people getting saved, people getting healed, the sick made well, the hungry being fed, uh, clothing of the poor, uh, all of humanity experiencing the hope, joy, and love of God, and a whole bunch of other myriad diff of different ways. But the kingdom or the rule or the reign of God is that it would reverse the effects of sin. So wherever sin has messed up God's perfect design, pray God's kingdom there. Right? Whatever you see broken in the world, pray God's kingdom there. Where there's unrest and division and war, pray God's peace there. When there's sickness and there's pain and there's, there's hurt, pray God's perfect healing there. That's what he's saying. Like, pray my kingdom. Pray my Father's restorative and redemptive nature into this world. And again, here in James, he points to this. To this restorative nature. Remember, what's his examples? It's physical healings. It's saving people from death. It's lives being rescued and redeemed. These are the examples James is using. And he's saying, church, don't forget to pray God's kingdom in. Because again, like, like if you put yourself in their shoes hearing this letter, there would, there would be a really easy, um, and I think for us too, there's a really, this is harder to do. <laughs> because what God is saying is he's not, he's, he's saying, hey, see the mess that's around you? Um, I actually want you to step into that mess. I want you to be proximate in the mess of the world. It would be easy to be like, I'm out. But what Jesus is, and what, what the whole, I mean, what scripture is saying is like, where Christians need to be to see God's kingdom come is like right in the mess. And that's not super fun news. Because you're like, wait a second. But God's like, no, no, no. Like, pray my kingdom. Be, be my ambassador of my kingdom 
there. Because if you're not there, who's going to be there? Right? Like this is, this is where like this like beautiful, I think, responsibility comes in. This beautiful gift that we have. Like if you, if you want to say it one way, if you guys are like into sports, um, this is like a baton pass. Like, you know, I don't know if you ran track or ran a relay race or whatever, but like this is like our generation's time. Like, this is us now. It's not for anyone else. Like, this is us now. Like, it's ours. Like, when you, when you go see Jesus face to face, your baton is passed. <laughs> but until then, like, it's our beautiful and glorious... Responsibility seems, like, negative. But I think it's beautiful. It's a beautiful torch that Jesus has given us in our lives to represent and pray in his kingdom. In this time in history, as messy as it is, and many of us wish we, like, would all go away. But God's like, hey, I put you here right now to pray in my kingdom. And what James is doing is he's, he's seconding what Jesus told us to do, is to ask our Father for these things. Jesus would use words like ask, seek, and knock like with earnest persistence that our heavenly father's kingdom would permeate this earth. And even though we have like some responsibility to pray in and be the church, we have to know that God already did all the work through his son upon the cross. There's a tension there. Like it's not up to you to save that person because Jesus did the work upon the cross. Like you can't save them, but you can pray for them can be a light to them, like God can use you, but ultimately it's God, it's God saving them. He did all the work anyway. Right, you see, God, did our, God already did all the work through his son Jesus. Redemption and restoration has already broken into this world. We know the end of the story, but we're not there yet. And as dark and as broken as the world looks and is, it's time, church, to go, well, that's not the end of the story. That's not how it should be. So I'm going to pray that God changes that. And that's why, to be honest, we don't have to, like, lose hope in the world that we see because we're not the ones, like, God's got to do that. God's got to do that. And we do have an active role. We should. But we can have hope that one day he will make all things new. We know the end of the story. 2020, 2021, 2022, 20 is not the end of the story. Like, that's why, like, you gotta know what the end of the story is. Because <laughs> you won't lose hope then. But you'll be an active participant in praying in God's goodness. So what James is doing. He's saying that if we're not seeing Jesus' redemption and restorative power in, in our midst, like if we're looking at the world around us and we're like, God, where are you? Pray God in. That's what he's saying. Pray it in. Like pray it in, church. It's not, it's not hard to not see God. So pray him there. Pray his kingdom there. Maybe that's your workplace. Maybe that's your family. Maybe it's our country, maybe it's the world around us, the brokenness, right? It's not hard to find a broken peace. But instead of going, oh man, I'm so weighted down by that brokenness and leaving it at that. 
feel it, but then pray God in. Don't miss the pray God in. And I know that many of us are adverse, obviously, to this. Totally get it. But a lot of us are not adverse to this, so we're, like, looking at a lot of things. Maybe it's one of those things you see something, and instead of going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that, be like, God, be there right now. Still feel like, I can't believe that happened, but God, be there right now. I think we, like, miss that second component. But I think James and Jesus is saying, no prayer is powerful. It's redemptive, and it's restorative in nature. Pray it in. Like, pray it in. And so, this is where I want to, like, end. This application, this is like an encouragement exhortation for all of us in this room today. Um, as a pastor, if I was to, you know, um, think about the things that I've heard a lot as a pastor from Christians, from people. And what I actually notice a lot of times is that this this tool of prayer, you could say, or this gift of prayer is very often overlooked, neglected, and becomes really dusty and unused. Like it's not just a me thing, a you thing. It's not just here thing. It's like um, so many times, as beautiful and wonderful and powerful and redemptive and restorative as prayer is, we just fail to use it. Um, my, my age may, may be relative to you. I don't know. Some of you, I'm old. Some of you, I'm young. I'm 37. Take it as it is. I don't know if that's old or young. It depends on who you are. But for 16 years, I've been in full-time vocational ministry. When I was 21, full-time job, that's what I've done. And I spent years in different contexts with different people, walking alongside and following Jesus with literally thousands of of believers. And if I was to make a list of the things that God offers to his kids in order to commune with them and really change the world, prayer would be absolutely at the top of the list. Top three for sure of things that God is like, this is mine and I'm giving it to you. You have full access to me through my son. Anytime, anywhere, ask me anything, I'll do it. I mean, there's a little bit of exceptions to that rule, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, God is literally like, what do you want? You want me to come? Ask me. You want me to heal? Ask me. You want me to encourage you? Ask me. And what do we do? Don't ask him. And God's like, what do you mean? Like, I've, I've given you, I've, you know what I mean? Like, and we're all guilty of it. Or we all, are all, we're all don't use it as much. I don't mean guilty of it. You know what I mean? Like, we all are in that boat. That's why I'm saying it's like the top thing that we, like, don't engage in as much as we ought to. And I want to stand here today to encourage you, like, to take full advantage to the gift that prayer is. And as much as I'm saying that, I want to receive that too, because I'm not immune to that. Absolutely, I will put myself in like, oh, yeah, like, this is preaching as much to me as it is Maybe to you. Like, I want to encourage us, like, to really grab hold of the fact that we have access to our Heavenly Father. And He's attentive to our cries. And He hears our every word. And He cares about our every word. And He acts. He acts when His kids ask. 
For those of you that are parents in this room, obviously all of us have parents too, but like when our kids ask us something, like for the most, most of the time, we have the ability to give that to them. Whether or not we should is a different reason. But right, as, as, as you have kids, like especially young kids, they ask you as a parent something. And obviously, as a parent, you're like, I love you. I care about you. Again, whether you give them that thing or not, it's come, hopefully it comes out of care. But right, as a parent, you have a lot of ability to give your kids things. How much more that our Heavenly Father like wants to hear from his kids, cares about his kids, can give, <laughs> give his kids everything, and has the ability to do anything. And I don't know if that helps you think of it, but like prayer is simply asking our Heavenly Father, coming before our Heavenly Father, speaking, saying, like, Dad, like, come, heal, I'm hurting, or save that person, or God, I need you. Like, Father, I need you. And just know that he is like a loving father that's like, not only like, he's not distracted when you speak to him, he's not, you know, looking at something else, he's attentive, he's present, he hears our cries, and he does desire to do what's best for you, and he will do that, he says. So church, I want this to be a reminder. I think this is a great reminder from James to take full advantage of the ability to speak with our Father through prayer. Um, we're going to enter into a time of worship now, and as I've said, um, as we actually say every single time, at the end of our sermon time, as we enter into worship, we encourage you to like take advantage of a few things during worship. And one of those is our prayer team. Every Sunday we have at least one, if not two, or more people in the back that are here to pray for you. They have a heart to pray for you. They have a heart to take your request to the Father. Um, I believe it's Jen, Erica, and Cecilia. They'll be in the back. They have blue lanyards on. Um, during this time of worship, I want to, like, encourage you to go to them to ask our Father for prayer. Big or small, doesn't matter what it is. We all have stuff that we need and we want to ask God for. If you don't do it to them, I want to encourage you not only to do it yourself, but maybe it's with someone next to you that's seated next to you today. Prayer shouldn't be something that it's one time. It's something that should just be all the time. Something that we're just speaking with and communing with our Father. And why not model that while we're here together? And so obviously we're going to enter into a time of musical worship. We have communion. Obviously come and grab communion and remember who God is by taking the bread and taking the juice. Worship God. But engage in prayer. Whether that's the prayer team, whether that's with one another. Um, go out of your way right now to like be stretched a bit to either ask for prayer or to pray for someone else and ask them how you can pray for them. Sound good? All right, let's pray. <coughs> Father, we thank you so much that you are, you are accessible to us. You are not distant and far off, but you actually are near to your kids. And God, for so many of us, whether like 
<laughs> whether like this is our first time to church or we've been coming to church for decades, right? Whether we just came to know you or maybe don't even know you yet or we've known you for years and years, I pray, Lord, that there would be like a new fervency to pray. I pray that it'd be a freshness right now. Like that we would re-engage and take up the torch of praying your kingdom in to the world around us. God, make us, as you said we should be, a house of prayer. That's what you spoke into your church. You said, my church would be a house of prayer. And I pray that that would be true of us. I pray it wouldn't just be a one-time thing, but that you would build this muscle in us, the spiritual muscle of how to pray and, and when to pray. And you'd free us from any hiccups we have or any hindrances why we don't pray. God, you're not concerned about our words. You're concerned about the posture of our heart. You just want to hear from your kids. You don't care about actually how we say it. You just want to hear from us. So Lord, we pray that you would bless this time of worship and of prayer and of communion for your glory and your namesake. We love you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.